won't do that. You're welcome. The title of our message today is God Came Down. Come on down. And we're going to, as we begin our, our Christmas message series, we're calling it Simple Christmas, we come to the text in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God who lived six to seven hundred years before the time of Christ. And, and similar to the announcer in, in the game show, The Price is Right, we, we could say that Isaiah prays, God, come on down. Come on down. But have you ever thought about this for a moment? Is that what we really want? For God to come on down from heaven? I think in most cases, not likely. You know, I think at times we like God safe in heaven and away from our everyday life until we really need him. And then it's like, God, get down here right now. But not Isaiah, not Isaiah. He longed for the coming of the Messiah in the midst of suffering and sin and rebellion and hardship. He cries out, God, come on down. And so we're going to listen together as the word of God is proclaimed, read from Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. I'm asking a different member of the congregation uh, each week uh, this month to be our scripture reader. And so today, N.A. has graciously agreed to do that. Isaiah 64, 1-9. Oh, that you will drain the heavens and come down, that the mountains may quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, takes us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the porter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look where all your people. Amen. Thank you, Annie. So, like game show host, Isaiah, cries out, come on down. And I, I hope as you listened to that deeply heartfelt prayer from Isaiah, perhaps you recognized that Isaiah had a longing for God to come down and to stir up 
God's people of the day. And it's a longing that we, his people of today, that we ought to have as well. And so this morning, we're going to consider why it is important for us to hold on to hope and to dare to believe that God can and will come down to us in times of need. And he'll do that in powerful ways. And so let's consider, first of all, a call for intervention. A call for intervention. Isaiah's ministry took place during a time of great spiritual and political turmoil. The kingdom uh, had divided about 200 years uh, earlier into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And God's people were in spiritual decline in both of those kingdoms. They were abandoning the things of God and were becoming increasingly secular and worldly. And in addition to the spiritual decline, there was great political and military threats from their neighbors, including the Assyrians. They were they, the Assyrians were expanding rapidly, and in fact, they had defeated Israel in 722 BC, and they had taken the people of Israel into captivity. And now Judah was extremely worried as the Assyrians were threatening to attack and to defeat them as well. And so it's in that context that Isaiah preached and wrote his book that we call the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah warned the people. He warned the people of Judah of God's approaching judgment because of their moral decline, because of their political corruption, because of their social injustice, and especially because of their spiritual idolatry. Because the nation would not turn away from its sinful practices, Isaiah announced the ultimate overthrow of Judah. And eventually that took place in 586 BC. Nevertheless, God would remain faithful. Faithful to his promises. Faithful to his covenant. He would preserve a godly remnant, remnant and he would also send deliverance through a coming Messiah, one that Isaiah longed to see. The Messiah would come out of Judah and he would accomplish the works of redemption and restoration. And so today we're looking at a text from Isaiah's prayer in Isaiah chapter 64. On be, as Isaiah prays on behalf of God's people and it is a deep cry, a cry of petition, a cry of confession, and a cry for intervention. We could summarize it as, oh God, come on down, come down. And you know, it's no surprise that as we enter this Christmas season in 2021, we have a lot of concern regarding our future as well, don't we? The stock market is up and down like a yo-yo. Gas prices are climbing. There aren't enough workers to fill all the jobs. Our, our nation's relationship with Russia and China is precarious at best. And then, of course, COVID-19 concerns, that they, they finally seem to be declining. But now we're faced with adding a, a new term to our vocabulary, a new threat to our health, the, the Omicron variant. You know, that sounds like some cheesy sci-fi novel from, from the 70s, doesn't it? The Omicron variant. And yet it's a reality. It's a reality for our world as we endure 
the fallout of this pandemic. And then on top of all of that, the church is not doing well. Church attendance across the United States is down 40% in the last two years, and it shows few signs of recovery. Spiritually, the church in America is lethargic. There seems to be little vitality and life. Friends, our day is not so different from Isaiah's day. And that's why he prays, in essence, oh God, come down. He's praying with passion. He wants God to come down and to do something. Isaiah wants God to come down and to shake up this world. He wants God to come and, and revive his people. He wants God to come down and change his enemies into true worshipers. For Isaiah, there is no greater joy than for God to come down. And that's why he prays that prayer. Isaiah, friends, is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray for the intervention of God in our world today. And so what does that intervention look like? God's intervention that we would pray for. What is it that we're praying for? Could we say that we are praying, like Isaiah, for the presence of God? Isaiah begins his prayer by pleading with God in verses 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Rip open the skies, God, and just come down. That the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes the water to boil. To make your name known among your adversaries. And that the nations might tremble at your presence. Come on down, God, Isaiah pleads. In other words, Isaiah is saying, God, we desire an unusual divine event. We're thankful for the steady blessings that you give us day by day. But these are desperate times. We're in a pathetic condition. We desire the unmistakable intervention of God. God, come down. I like how preacher and commentator Ray Ortland uh, wrote about this particular passage. He said, he's reminded us, reminded that much of the American church, uh, much of American Christianity that we take for granted today is what he calls subnormal. Subnormal. He says, churches here and there are growing with the power of God upon them, but as a whole, American Christianity is drifting into historic inconsequentiality. Wow. Why is that? Why is that? It may be because we, friends, are satisfied with our current condition. We feel little urgency, we have no longing. And so we're hardly aware of our mediocrity. We've lost the vision of the prophets and the apostles. We've forgotten that to whom much, whom much is given, much is required. That's what Jesus said. And so perhaps we don't really want God to intervene. That is, unless his intervention is on our terms. So what should we do as Christ followers? What is it? that we can do as we seek for God to come down. Well, friends, we have to choose to accept the inconvenient, to question the status quo, 
to dare to dream and believe the glory of God can come down upon us today. Do you believe that? Do you long for that? We have to let go of our personal preferences and our precious opinions and instead open up our lives to his ways. That's what we must pray for. And so as we pray for that, then we have to stay open to what God may do. Look at how Isaiah continues his prayer in verse 3. He says, when, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. And so what's Isaiah doing here? He's looking back to history to reaffirm God's awesome presence. He can look back and say, oh, when God did those awesome things. What, what does God's work in the past teach us? What does it teach us? Well, we learn that God is not predictable, but rather that he is surprising. Now, God never acts contrary to his own word. He never acts out of his own character, but he is also never at a loss for new ways to act. Are we okay with that? If God would choose to act in ways that, that might make us a bit uncomfortable? Let's look back to the history of Israel's people for just a moment. Think about the people of God when they were cornered at the Red Sea after they'd escaped Egypt. The Egyptian army was approaching fast and there seemed to be no way out. What happened? You remember what happened. The Red Sea opened up. Nobody was expecting that. That was unexpected. The world was stumbling in darkness. No way forward. What happened? Well, God came down in the person of the Messiah. And he was born in a stable. Nobody expected that. That was very unlikely. God is surprising. We were under the wrath of God and we deserve to go to hell for all eternity. Our guilt is great. We have no defense. And what happens? Our judge pays the penalty on our behalf. Dying on the cross in our place. Nobody expected that. Jesus. Jesus was dead and buried. And the hopeful expectations that he had created had all evaporated. What happened? Well, you know what happened. He rose from the grave. He ascended to the Father in heaven. And he sent his spirit so that some of his own enemies became his friends. Nobody was expecting that. God works in unexpected ways. And friends, God is still full of surprises. He does what we often don't expect. I'm sure that many of you can think of someone that you know who was radically changed when God came down and entered into their life. That's why our prayer should be, God, come on down intercede today. But then what God wants in return from his people are those who would walk in obedience to him, to walk according to his ways. Look at how Isaiah puts it in verse 5 of this prayer. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. You see, folks, God doesn't meet the lazy he doesn't meet those who forget about him, but he meets 
those who are joyful, who humbly are going along in the simple, ordinary path of obedience to his ways. That is the person that God meets and intercedes for. The one who lives in hope and remembers his ways. And so if you don't sense God interceding, if God's not coming on down into your life, perhaps you need to do some spiritual reflection about your own walk. And so we pray. We pray for the intervention of God in our world today by crying out in hope, oh God, come on down. And then next, number two, we see that hope in God leads us to a call of confession. A call of confession. We must confess our long-standing sins. As we pray for God's intercession, for God to come down, we become very aware of our own inadequacies, our own long-standing sins, and we are called to confess them. To confess literally means to speak forth, to verbalize, to announce. Isaiah prayed this in verses 5 through 7. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There's no one who calls on your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. I want you to see in this little section that Isaiah uses four similes. Notice the word like, like. He uses it four different times. And he does that to help us, I think, to confess our long-standing sins. It's important for us, brothers and sisters, not just to remember our sins, but to speak them forth, to voice them, to speak specifically about who we used to be so that he can prepare us for who he wants us to become. So let's look at this for just a moment. First, we are like one, Isaiah says, who is unclean. Unclean. I want you to think of the leper. Lepers used to live away from everyone else. And when they walked around, if people came near, they had to literally shout out, unclean, unclean. That was to warn people to stay away so they wouldn't become infected. Friends, you and I are like lepers. We could literally warn everyone we meet. We could say, hi, I'm Rob Carney, and I am contagious with the leprosy of sin. You better keep your distance. I might infect you with my sin. You see, that is my fleshly nature. That's who I used to be. Second, we're like a polluted garment, a filthy rag. Notice that it's not just our sin that stinks, but Isaiah says even our righteous deeds, that's the good stuff. You feeling good about what you did for the Lord? Guess what? It stinks. It stinks. We have nothing that is worth presenting to God. It's all a stench. And then third, we're like a leaf. 
See all the leaves blowing around these days? Brittle autumn leaves, and they just crumble and fall away to nothingness. We don't last. And then fourth, he says, we're, we're like the wind. Our sin takes control of us, and it moves us in all kinds of directions that we never intended to go. You see, folks, that is who we are apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus. Like the ancients of Isaiah's day, living in open rebellion, going our own way, drifting about in sin and despair. And so we call for the intervention of God in our world today by beginning a prayer for the presence of God in our lives. And then we call out our confession of our long-standing sins. And we do so because, because we live in hope of something better. If we just stopped right there, as Isaiah, you know, the folks in Isaiah's day, we're, we're just lost. We stink. What a bummer of a way to end the message. I'll see you later. No, it doesn't end there. We have hope in something better, something superior, something new and improved. Our hope in God leads us third to a call of commission. A call of commission. A commission is an instruction, a command, a duty given to a person or a group of people. If we were to commission you today, go out and do this. That's what a commission is. Isaiah prays in verses 8 and 9. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord. Remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we all are your people. Oh my goodness. This way of calling on God, it glorifies the Lord. Because it expresses our radical need for him. Isaiah was desperate. The people were desperate. They didn't know where to turn. And Isaiah says, Lord, Lord, please don't remember our sins forever. That was his pleading prayer. We are the clay. He is the potter. And we need his touch to redesign us and reshape us to be more the way that he wants us to be. We have to recognize, friends, that God holds all power over us, like the potter and the lump of clay. He is the commissioner. He is the designer. He is the purpose giver. He is the value setter. And apart from his intervention, we are nothing. But like an artist who creates a beautiful work, like the potter who makes the beautiful vase. Sometimes we even call that a, a commissioning. They, they make that artwork for a specific purpose. I want you to think about that for a moment. God wants to commission you. He wants to set you apart as a beautiful piece of art for his purpose. We can call for this commission. And we can call with confidence for this real very reason. When we realize we are the clay, he is the potter. He is the one that's able to touch us again. We need it. We need it again and again. And God has many methods of bringing his touch into our life. 
to create us into the people that he wants us to be. But we have to submit. We have to recognize he is the potter. I am the clay. Isaiah is not asking that God would never discipline us. But what he is asking is that God wouldn't discipline us to the extent that we deserve. Because by God's own choice, we are his people and under his hand. And so we pray. We pray for the intervention of God in this world today. We confess. We confess our own weakness and our arrogance and our ineptitude. And finally, we call out for the touch of God, for his commission, so that we can become something better. Grandpa found his granddaughter jumping up and down in her playpen, crying at the top of her voice. And when little Janie saw Grandpa, she reached out her chubby little hands and said, out, Grampy, out, out. And of course, Grandpa reached down to lift his little granddaughter out of her predicament. But as he did, Janie's mom came into the room and said, no, Janie, you are being punished. You have to stay in your playpen. Well, Grandpa didn't know what to do. His granddaughter's tears reached deep into his heart. But his daughter's firmness couldn't be taken lightly as a mother. But love found a way. Grandpa couldn't take his granddaughter out of the playpen, so instead, he climbed in with her. I love that story. Because friends, that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. That's what he did for us that first Christmas. Christ left heaven and earth and climbed in with us. Not into our playpen, but into our muck. Into our filthiness, into our brokenness. He came down. God came down. The word was made flesh. God interceded. God did tear open the heavens as Isaiah cried out for. Not in the mighty way perhaps that we might have expected, but think about that, that first Christmas when that angelic choir burst forth in song at the birth of the Christ child. We could say that all heaven broke loose. God came down and he walked as one of us. And the world should tremble in awe and in wonder at the miracle that took place that first Christmas. God came down and he wasn't angry. God came down and through an infant, he said, I love you. And so brothers and sisters, as you enter this Christmas season, I challenge you to pray with Isaiah. Oh God, come on down. Come down. But if you do, if you do, know that he comes bringing change. He comes seeking our confession. And he comes desiring to mold us into something new and different and better than we might have done on our own. He does that so that he can shape us, 
so that he can prepare us, so that he can commission us for his works, for his ways. That is the message of God coming down to be with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of Jesus Christ coming into this world. And Father, we thank you that through your perfect plan, Father, that you have designed a way for us to rise above the circumstances of this world that is degrading and falling apart and falling farther and farther away from you. But Father, you have put us on a path, a path that rises above the circumstances of this world. Thank you, Father, that you provide a way of escape. Father, as we celebrate that plan that began in that stable so long ago. Father, we pray that we would not just romanticize that event as a wonderful time 2,000 years ago, but Father, that we would live in the reality of who you are and what you desire to do as you want to shape us and prepare us for that preferred future that belongs to each one who follows Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to transition into a time of communion just now. You know, the Lord's Supper service is a reminder. It's a reminder that we are living in a time of great hope. It's a hope that, that's different than any hope that this world offers. We are living in a time when we know that God has already intervened in this world. We know that. We know that because, unlike the people of Isaiah's day, we are privileged to know the completed story of Jesus. We know the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is present and alive. God's Spirit guides us and leads us and fills us with power to be authentic human beings that are able to reflect God's glory, God's honor. And so as Christ's followers, we live in hope because we know that we can bring all of our hurts, all of our mistakes, all of our brokenness, all of our sin and rebellion, we can bring it to the Lord. We can bring everything to the Lord because we know He loves us, because we know He forgives us, because we know He cleanses us, because we know He renews us. We live in hope because we are clay in the hands of the Lord. He's molding us. He's preparing us this morning for something better. That is our hope. And so as we share together in the communion, we remember that the bread and the cup, they're, they're just simple reminders, very simple reminders of the complex plan initiated by God on our behalf. And so may we celebrate in thanksgiving 
and in hope that we are a part of that perfect eternal plan. So in a moment as the music plays, we invite you to make your way to one of the four tables, two at the back, two at the front. On each table are the bread and the cup. They're stacked together. You're welcome to take a moment and just stand at the table and reflect and take your communion there. You're welcome to take it back to your seat if you'd like to to do that. There are uh, containers at each table where you can put your empty cups when you're done. If you have a trouble getting to one of the tables, we just encourage you, please, just raise your hand. We've got some folks in the back that would be honored to just bring the cup and the bread to you at your seat. But let's worship together now. Let's confess together. Let's remember together his sacrifice. As the music plays, we invite you to share in the Lord's Supper.
with our final song. I just want to remind you uh, to be sure and pick up uh, the uh, recommendation for uh, Joel Powell as an elder so that you can consider that and you've got a couple of weeks to get that turned back in. And then I also want to let you know we've got some wonderful little um, devotional books called Celebrating Christmas. It's a 10-day devotional. Uh, these are free for anybody that would like them. They'll be at a table right by the front doors as you leave. Maybe another way to help you prepare your hearts and minds for the real meaning of Christmas. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll have our closing song and be dismissed. Father, we are so grateful for the power of Jesus, the power of love, and the power of hope. Father, thank you that we are well aware of that hope. Lord, may we live in that hope. May that hope be reflected to us, through us, to the world around. And Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.